Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm delighted to be able to come in and uh, meet Nithin's congregation and his church family here at the City Alliance in Williamsport. Uh, I've known, as he mentioned, Nithin since high school, and Nithin in high school was uh, a bit much, (laughs) as you can imagine. Uh, And so, uh, but I also want to share with you, about 10 years after meeting him in high school, I remember a time when we were at our church, and uh, our youth pastor had just left the church, and we were in desperate need of a new youth pastor right as my middle daughter was coming to those years, and I was just so desperate to get a good youth pastor, and I was just stressing about it and worrying about it and praying about it, and I remember falling asleep one night, Lord, Lord, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And then literally it was, Niffin! And I realized Niffin might be available for this role. And we started to seek him and the Lord brought him into it. And just a couple weeks ago, my daughter mentioned just how important Niffin was in her formation and walking with the Lord. And so I'm delighted that he's part of your family here, helping you in your formation and learning how to walk with Jesus. My wife Sharon and I grew up and were born and raised in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, about a mile and a half apart from each other, Uh, yet we didn't meet until we were 21. That's a story for another day. Uh, We moved to New Jersey for 36 years. Uh, Now, we tried to move back to Lancaster right away, uh, but the Lord kind of made it clear that that was not his path for us. And I'm glad he did because we were able to experience what he wanted to do in our lives in ministering in a church as uh, just regular lay people, then eventually being called into ministry out of my corporate career. Uh, And so halfway through that exile, God made me into a pastor, which was never on my radar whatsoever. And so uh, we tried to get back, but that was not the idea. And so uh, the the church that Nathan and I were part of at Stonecrest in New Jersey, God did some awesome things. Now, eventually our daughters grew up and they've graduated and moved on and we were, nobody was there. We were sensing, Lord, what's next in our life? And he led us to come back uh, to Lancaster where I can now serve in the district office. And we're delighted to be able to do that and also to share with the churches, the 87 churches and congregations that make up the Eastern Pennsylvania District. So thank you for being part of that family. Thank you for supporting this church. Thank you for supporting Nathan and Jackie and the Thompson family. Uh, This morning, I hope to encourage you to read from 1 Peter. If you haven't done that lately, it's a great book. It's it's about a one-week-long read, and so I encourage you this week to do that. Uh, It's a book that Peter wrote uh, primarily to Gentile believers living in Asia Minor, what is today Turkey. Now, even though Asia Minor was their home, Peter, right off the bat, refers to these believers as exiles, in the second chapter, and he starts to unpack what it's going to look like for these exile believers to live and to suffer as witnesses for Jesus in the midst of what is an antagonistic culture. I love this book because even though Peter spends a lot of time talking about how we need to learn how to suffer, I love it because it speaks directly to a situation that's a lot like ours today in a culture that can be antagonistic and just frankly crazy. 
Whether you see it as crazy from the left or crazy from the right or crazy all around, it's crazy times living around this world now. So how should we live? And I think he gives us the answer. We can live if we have the right attitude. We can live right if we have an exile attitude. Peter says in chapter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, listen to this, so that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Those who you think are farthest from God will one day glorify God if we live out our life well here as an exile. So if we can adopt an exile attitude, how would that shift our perspective of our circumstances and where we live and where we work and the people all around us? So I'd like to propose a theme for you as you read through 1 Peter this week. Think of this theme. As a foreigner and an exile, what does it look like for me to be faithful until Jesus comes again? And as you read this letter, you'll see that there are many things that can and will cause us to suffer in this world. But rather than focusing on how do we get out from the cause of suffering or how do we avoid suffering altogether, Peter's going to focus you on how do we learn to suffer well, whether we think the suffering is from this or from that or whatever it might be. Now, this morning, I'm not going to try to read through the whole book, but we're going to focus, beginning with the end in mind in chapter 5 that Sarah read for us just a moment, starting in verse 6. And I love how he goes through, starting with the humble yourselves, therefore, and at the very end of the book that he's talking about all this suffering, he says, peace be to you. How can he do that? Do you want peace? Do you want to live a less anxious life? Do you want to learn how to avoid falling into the enemy's traps or playing into his hand again and again and ending up kind of like, like lion lunch? How can you find a path to peace even when it feels like you're living in a lion's den? Let's dive in and take a look. The first step on our journey is to prepare. And our preparation includes two parts. The first one is humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, verse 6, because he will lift you up in his due time. Now, Peter knows a thing or two about being humbled by the Lord. I mean, think of some of the stories where he was also bold and brash and, you know, then humbled by being a little too bold and a little too brash. I mean, here's a time where I think Peter's warning us, you know, I messed up a lot, so don't be like me. Don't, don't pull a Peter in your situations. Be humble. Now, this is not a minor point to Peter because I think he heard Jesus say it over and over again. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Three times in the Gospels we have that and twice in the book of Luke. So it's a big deal to Jesus as well. It's not a minor point in our preparation. In fact, even the context of this passage of Scripture was, is when Peter was saying, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. So if you're just brushing over humility or, or you know a Christian who is, we need to stop. 
We need to take seriously the command from verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let me ask you a question. Where are you most in need of humility? Or let me ask you another question. Where is somebody you know most in need of humility? Ah. Yeah, the, the quickness of laughing or thinking of somebody else might point the direction for the need for some humility right back at you, right? So humble yourselves, not others, even though you wish you could, under God's mighty hand. You see, in the Old Testament, God's hand symbolized the hand of discipline, but also the hand of deliverance. Both meanings are appropriate in view of the sufferings we endure in this life, but I think we look too quickly to the God's mighty hand of deliverance. God, get me out of this. I don't want to be under this anymore. God, this stinks. His mighty hand of deliverance is what we tend to look to as opposed to his mighty hand of discipline, his mighty hand of testing and strengthening and restoring us through trials and sufferings not from them. So ultimately, Jesus will one day deliver us in his due time, and we will see him as he is in all of his glory. But in the meantime, we need to be disciplined. So I think the point that God's mighty hand of discipline and deliverance is that in this life, God delivers us through our trials and sufferings, not from them. Now, that realization may cause you to be a little bit nervous or anxious. I mean, what might God expect of me? Do you think he might make me move to New Jersey? <laughs> or maybe, will God send me there? Or worse, where would God want to send my kids? That brings us to the second part of our preparation, the path to peace, is that we should not be anxious when we humble ourselves. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God is not indifferent to your sufferings. In fact, the idea of God's concern for human suffering is a bit uncommon and maybe even unique in the world's religions. You see, Jesus' incarnation to take on the penalty of sin reveals a caring God, a God who does not want you to be anxious or worrying, but instead to put all such things on him. So cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now I want to just take a little time out here for a second and, and make a side note. I don't see this as prohibiting um, or, or denying the possibility of properly diagnosed and prescribed medications to help correct chemical imbalances that can lead to anxiety. I do see it, though, as a command to reject worries and fears and anxieties over what might happen or what you maybe think has happened but nobody else is paying attention to. You don't need to have control over these things because he does. And the truth is that God will never give you more than he can handle. And not even a sparrow falls to the ground that he's not mindful of it. So do not worry 
as Jesus commanded us in Matthew 6. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So our first step is to prepare, which includes both humbling ourselves and casting all of our anxiety on God. And our next step is to be aware. Be alert. And if sober mind, it says in verse 8, not lulled into a drunken, unalert frame of mind or anything by any excessive amounts of anything in this life, especially plenty or prosperity, that things that are otherwise good can choke out the fruitfulness of the gospel in our lives, like so many thorns growing up and choking out the crop of what should be growing in the good soil. What things are most likely to dull your awareness or make you unalert to the things of God. Be alert and watchful. I think that perhaps also reflects Peter's, again, own experience of feeling like lion lunch when Satan had sifted him like wheat, as Jesus told him would happen in Luke 22. Or when Jesus specifically asked Peter and the disciples to keep watch twice on the night that he is betrayed and both times Peter and the disciples Peter wasn't alone in these failures not only us but many of the Old Testament heroes of the faith we read about in Hebrews 11 were lion lunch at one time or another in their life and yet they persevered and were commended for their faith we can do the same in our day today so prepare, be aware. And the third step, remember. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our real enemy wants to devour you. Or as Jesus described him like a thief in John 10.10, 10, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to take out your marriage. He wants to take out your effectiveness as a witness of Jesus. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to take away your peace. He wants to weigh you down with so many fears and anxieties and worries, and he does this through temptation and trial and deception. He's the father of lies. He's a lying lion. So we need to prepare, be aware, and remember we live in a lion's den. This got me to thinking. How do lions hunt? Did you ever think about that? I googled it and I found that lions tend to hunt in groups. They'll walk along and they'll spot some prey somewhere along the lines. And one lion will always stay in front, keeping the attention of the prey. And as it gets closer and closer, at one point the lion in front of them will roar really loud to get your attention in the front. Meanwhile, you're ignorant of the danger behind you. When does that happen to us? It always fascinates me when we think the most danger is always in front of us. When we learn from the way lions hunt, 
the greatest danger may come from behind you. Think about it. Are you likely to be deceived by someone or something coming from a direction that you are already convinced is wrong or untrue or dangerous? No, you know that's dangerous. And you might even step away from it, not paying attention to what might be behind you. That's how lions hunt. We need to remember we live in a lion's den. Something that contains elements not of deception, not of what you think is wrong, not of what you already consider to be untrue, but something that contains elements of truth behind you, that sounds right, tickles your itching ear a little bit, maybe even includes a scripture reference, that can be exceptionally dangerous because you assume it's safe. Never forget, Satan quoted scripture in trying to deceive Jesus. So just because somebody can quote scripture does not mean that they're automatically right or telling the truth. And just because something seems to be getting right results does not always mean it's the truth when it ignores other scriptures that talk about how we should be getting right results. So prepare, be aware. Remember, we live in a lion's den and he's prowling all around looking for some lunch. Now, I do want to take a moment here and make a very important clarification for you. Some of you may be fairly new in walking with Jesus in your faith and, and understanding what does it mean for me to be saved. This does not mean that the enemy can take away your salvation, that Satan can take away your salvation. Paul told us this in Romans 8. He said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I have an amen? amen. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. Therefore, the devil is defeated. He can't touch your salvation. So don't ever let him lie and can try to convince you that that is possible. So I think the point Peter's trying to remind us though here is our real enemy, the devil, is defeated, but he is still dangerous. He can't take away your salvation, but he can feast on your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus distracting you with plenty or prosperity or any kind of addiction or drunkenness or sin or temptation or tickling your itching ears with, with half lies or half truths. More of what you want to believe is already true. Twisting you up with worries or anxieties or, or puffing you up with pride, maybe even causing you to look down on humility as weakness. So how might the devil try to feast on your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus? So remain alert 
and sober-minded while living in this lion's den. When attack from the enemies can come from all around and probably most dangerously from behind you. Prepare, be aware, remember he's dangerous and defeated. So resist. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith. The Christian response to satanic opposition or intimidation is, it's not panic. It's not running away. It's firm resistance in the faith. We can see this when we see where else this Greek word was used that we translate here as resist. Ephesians 6, a verse that many of you know, probably even the kids know well. Our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to Here you go, resist. Stand your ground. The exact same Greek word translated as resist here is stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. So resist the devil. Stand firm against that fake lion who tries to convince you that your enemy is the people in front of you. The people who believe the things you disagree with the people who try to go in directions that you wouldn't want to go or you wouldn't want us to go. Remember, those people are the same ones that Jesus died for. We never can forget that. And as we've seen how lions hunt, they aren't the biggest danger. What might be the biggest danger is what we think is safe behind us if we don't test it. So Peter told, or Paul told us to test everything, to hold fast to what is good, to abstain from every form of evil in 1 Thessalonians. So resist, stand your ground against the real enemy who's all around. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James said. Because our real enemy, the devil, is defeated and he's only dangerous when we don't recognize him or we don't resist him. Because our real lion, Jesus Christ, is victorious. The war is over. But we still live in this lion's den. And so the battles against him will continue. So prepare, be aware, remember resist, prepare, be aware, remember, resist. One reason you can do this is because you know that in this struggle, you're not alone. Not only do you have the brothers and sisters around us here in Williamsport, but resist him in verse 9, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. All who are in union with Jesus in this world can expect suffering and deliverance. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation, that word can apply to tests, trials, or temptations, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
end, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, tested, or tried beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Not get out from under it. You can stand up under it. See, in this life, God delivers us through our trials and sufferings, not from them. But I want to be delivered out of this, God. No. He gives us strength to stand firm under it. Taking courage from our brothers and sisters who are going through some of the same kinds of things are probably way worse. So the path to peace through the lion's den is prepare. Humble yourself. Cast all your anxieties on him. Be aware. You're sober-minded. Remember, you live in a lion's den. He's dangerous, but he's defeated. So resist, and he will flee. And then we are ready for the final step when he restores us. Peter concludes this letter in our list on the steps of the path of peace by saying, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I loved how you said those words. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. See, his restoration is not intended to deliver you from sufferings in this world or from the dangers of living in the lion's den, but rather they are to restore you to your intended purpose, to make you strong, firm, and steadfast, and ready to go through sufferings and dangers of living in this, uh, like an exile in this world again. Now, I mean, it doesn't make any sense that God would restore you make you strong, firm, and steadfast, and then take you out. He's prepared you to stay here. It'd be like getting all suited up for the game, getting your pads on, getting the helmet on, getting all fired up, and then the coach says, okay, hit the showers. No game today. Doesn't make any sense. God restores you to make you strong, firm, and steadfast and ready to endure because he wants to use you for your intended purpose in this crazy world. I think it's easier to see what he's getting at here when we look where else this Greek word was used that we translate here as restore. And I love this because we see it in Matthew 4.21. When it talks about Jesus seeing James and John in their father's boat preparing their nets, restoring their nets. What were they restoring their nets for? To take them out of the boat and to hang them on the wall and marvel at them? Like, wow, we caught a whole lot of fish with that one. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was really good, man. That was, what a day, what a day. No! They're restoring their nets for the intended purpose to throw them back out there and use them again and again. As long as God leaves you here in exile in this life, in this world, and you faithfully suffer through living in a lion's den, prepare, beware, remember, resist. He will keep restoring you, making you strong, firm and steadfast and prepare for him to toss you back out there again to catch more 
fish. Do you see now why God's mighty hand of deliverance doesn't deliver you out of suffering and danger, but delivers you through it again and again and again? Prepare, be aware, remember, resist, restore, repeat. Prepare, be aware, remember, resist, restore, repeat. The path to peace goes on and on and on until one day in God's due time we will see him as he is as he delivers us into his presence. And while you do so, he will give you the peace that he talks about at the end, the very end of this letter, talking about all of the suffering. Be peace. Peace and humility in knowing that God is in control and his uh, mighty hand will deliver and discipline you both. Peace in knowing that he cares for you and your anxieties. Peace in knowing that your real enemy is defeated and your real lion, Jesus, is victorious. Peace in knowing that he will restore you and prepare you and toss you back out there over and over again. So this week, if you'll read from 1 Peter, you'll see in chapter 4, he says, so do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you as though something strange were happening to you. It's the path we walk on through living in a lion's den. It's like living like an exile. And we can do this so that we can be at peace knowing that one day in his due time he'll deliver us out. But in the meantime, prepare, be aware, remember, resist, restore, repeat. Do you see now how God wants to give you peace through your trials and sufferings? Not by taking you out of them in this crazy world? Do you see now how to live a less anxious life is to trust God to restore you through your fears and worries? Do you see the way to avoid falling into the enemy's traps or ending up like a lion lunch is to first prepare, then to be aware and to remember he's dangerous and defeated, but resist him and be restored by God and ready to repeat it over and over again. I mean, it sounds obvious when you look at it from this perspective, but have you looked at the state of the church in the world lately, especially here in our country? Is this what we see? Do we see a church ready to suffer and live as exiles right here where we are, even though we've called this home maybe for decades, maybe for centuries, just like those who lived in Asia Minor? It's not what I see. And this has been heavy on my heart. As over the decades that I've followed Christ, I've seen us become less peaceful more anxious, more fearful, more defensive, more angry, less humble, less prepared, less willing to suffer, less alert to our real enemy's deceit and danger. And I ask myself, man, what happened? 
So I want to share a story from my life as maybe a little illustration of how this might happen in the hopes that it might help you think about such things in your own life. You see, it wasn't long after we got married and moved to New Jersey when, because of a tight budget, we bought a small used Mercury Lynx station wagon. What a beauty. Let me tell you, I felt like a million bucks driving down the road in that car. It's funny, my other car at the time was a black Mustang GT. It couldn't have been more opposite. But this baby was a base model, and this is the one I would use to go to work. It had nothing. No automatic transmission, no air conditioning, no power anything, and only an AM radio for my one hour commute to work. Okay, for those of you who have a hard time imagining it, this is before cell phones, this is before anything like that, before podcasts, all I had was an AM radio to entertain myself for one hour to work and one hour home every day. And AM radio, and where we were, you got maybe two or three stations. And they were all talk radio. And so I'd listen to this guy, and at first he made some good points, and I'm like, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. And over the weeks and months, I was listening more, and yeah, he makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And what I became interested to notice is with the change in me as this was going on. As this was happening, as I was listening to this radio an hour on the way to work and an hour on the way home and all this kind of stuff, and listening over and over again, I was amazed just how ridiculous and idiotic and stupid everybody else seemed to be coming. I mean, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know how we should be doing things? Why do you think the way you do? And I became more hostile. I became more defensive about what I believed. If anybody even questioned something about what I believe, oh, I'd be very defensive about it. And I'm like, God, what's going on? And thankfully, after a year or so of living in this hour-long echo chamber, day after day, the same thoughts and the same ideas repeating over and over again, thinking that they were good, thinking that I agreed with them because they weren't what was wrong or what was in front of me, the Lord finally brought to my attention what was happening to me, and he restored me through it. I finally became aware that day after day I'd been allowing my real enemy to just gnaw on the bone of my beliefs. Even using things that I mostly agreed with to feast on my effectiveness as a follower of Jesus. So I finally turned around and told my real enemy behind me, knock it off. And I turned forward and I turned it off. And I drove in silence for an hour to work and an hour home. And the Holy Spirit began to speak and restore my perspective, my joy, my hope, my strength, my peace, my witness, my love for those who I had thought were so crazy and idiotic all around me. 
If the enemy of God could sneak around and take you out, steal your joy, steal your peace, rob you of your hope or your purity, wreck your marriage, how might he do it? Or how has he already been doing it? What lie or deception could he use to sneak up around behind you and take you out, feasting on your effectiveness as a follower of Jesus? What idea or belief has greatly influenced you, changed you, but you've never really tested it against the whole authority of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus? And by letting it change you, do you have more joy, more peace, less fears, less worries, or is it just the opposite? Maybe it's time we turned around and told our real enemy to knock it off or to turn it off because we're ready to prepare, be aware, remember, resist, be restored so that we can repeat. And may the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while himself restore you make you strong firm and steadfast because to him is the power forever and ever. So until that day when we finally see him in his eternal glory, no longer foreigners and exiles, but children of the king and our eternal home, until then we can have the peace of God. So that is what I desire to leave with you. No matter what suffering you're going through, not to minimize it, but to encourage you to persevere through it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring Peter to encourage us not to treat situations of suffering as though something strange were happening to us, but that you have the power to fill us to restore us for your purpose. So Lord, change us to be the men and women you want us to be. Change City Alliance to be the church you want it to be. Change Williamsport and this whole region, Father God, by what you want to do in our lives. We thank you that you are our victorious lion. And we thank you for Jesus Christ the only one who could ever make it possible and the one who did it. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.